know yourself. Absolutely know yourself. It's so funny because you're so focused on everyone who's starting a business is it's, it's natural to be, you know, focus on everything from the customers, the product, the, this, the ops, et cetera, but take a second. And do you know yourself? Because as a, you are the leader at the end of the day, right? You, you are launching something. And if you don't know very innately your strengths and your weaknesses and who you are and what makes you tick and what you need, right? Mm -hmm. Because you are like, it's like, you're the generator, you're the sole inspiration, you are it. And, and um, uh, my favorite publication of all publications is Harvard Business Review, right? I read it every, every couple of months when it gets to my mailbox, I get so excited and I sit there and I read it. And, and I love it because it's data driven. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Carmen Berenson. And uh, Carmen uh, grew up in uh, Minnesota. Um, and her dad uh, ended up leaving the or leaving her the family when she was four years old. Fast forward, went to high school in Minnesota and I think Arizona. Uh, mother passed away while she was in high school um, and caused her to grow up quick, which I'm sure it would or for anybody. Uh, went on to Cal or college in uh, Southern California. Um, walked away from the experience knowing she uh, needed a ton of or with all of that background needed a ton of money need to be your own boss and wanted to be successful Um, and so at 33 years old sold her first business made a good exit Um, at the same time had gone through um, some divorces with the with the marital and uh decided that uh, was going to go on to open another company, but the boyfriend at the time told her to stop, take a break um, and take some time for herself. So go, to go off to Hawaii and did that for a bit. Um, and uh, get, during that time, uh, allowed her to work or work through some uh, issues of uh, hadn't ever worked through some death of the family members, did that for about 18 months, started a second business, and now she's on her third business. So with that much as introduction, welcome on the podcast, Carmen. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Excited to have you. So I just did a, a very, very condensed version of a much longer journey, but let's unpack that a bit. So tell us a little bit about how your journey got started growing up in Minnesota. Um, well, Minnesota was great because it was um, northern Minnesota and my grandparents had 180 acres um, on a on a farm up there. And my sister and I actually had to entertain each other and entertain it ourselves. So um, it's something that now as a mom, I have an 11 year old and she absolutely hates it. She has learned not to come in and say, mom, I'm bored because when she does, I go, oh, yay. And, and she's like, at first she looked at the first time she looked at me and she's like, no, mom, I'm bored. And I was like, yay. And she's like, why? And I said, because only after boredom comes creativity. So, um, and it's really true. It's really true. And, and definitely her being an only child, I have, um, you know, you overschedule and you entertain and you, you 
not even helicopters, not so much protector as right, really invest in her. And sometimes there's a little bit too much investing. So, um, mm. so I did not have that. I had the extreme opposite. I was shipped off from a mom who needed a break after raising two girls by herself, um, 300 and some days a year. Right. And, um, mm. and so we were shipped off to my grandparents who, um, were what you think of quintessential grandparents who did their life and kept us alive and fed us like that was their job, not entertaining us. Um, but it was fantastic because I think it really did lead to a lot of my um, self-sufficiency and my grit and um, my drive and a lot of other beautiful things. But um, but yeah, the reason why with that happened, because I had a father who um Definitely, I love to call him Peter Pan. He just never grew up. And um, and definitely um, was a dreamer. Um, and I think the difference of, I, I, I've dissected a lot. I've unpacked a lot. You know, what's the difference between him as an entrepreneur and myself? And, and one of the biggest things he taught me is what not to do. And he used to tell me that he was like um, the great white shark. You know, they always swam by themselves and trusted no one and had mm. did it on their own. And I am just the extreme opposite. I am a huge collaborator. I don't believe that my, I am the smartest person in the room. Um, and I love building teams. And, um, and so um, I would hate to be a shark by myself. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, I'm a herd animal. <laughs> so now with that kind of as a background, and like I said, having a, a lot of things, and I, I, one of the other things I, I can't really, you mentioned a bit when we chatted before um, was that you had your mother that passed away during, I think it was high school. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So now, so, well, no, she go got sick when I was in high school. She passed away my, um, my um, freshman year in college because I went to high mm. school early. So I went to um, high school at 17. I skipped my senior year. Um, yeah. And, and, um, and my, um, my, uh, um, yeah, one day we were playing Uno and um, laughing and, and I was, I was a sophomore in high school. And the next morning I found her in a grand mal seizure and was calling 911 in this, having this weird role play voice with myself of you're only cut to call 911 in case of emergencies. And then I was saying, this is an emergency, right? Because we've been taught that as kids. And mm -hmm. so, um, or we've been taught it our whole life, right? And all of a sudden you have this real emergency in front of you and and we don't, we don't plan for those. And so, yeah, she was given three months to live. She had a grand, um, a glioblastoma brain tumor, um, but she ended up living 18 months. Um, and, um, and I'm very thankful for those 18 months, but it also, um, those 18 months definitely hardened me a bunch because, um, I needed to take care of her. My, my sister had already gone off to college and, um, and so she was out of the house and gone. And, um, and then, you know, my dad had obviously left when I was young. So, um, and so I was, I was for all practicality, the only adult and, um, and that was also my survival. You know, we all have different ways we survive things. And mine was to turn into logical mode, right? Feel nothing and take care of everything. And, you know, act like the adult and take everything on. And that also protected my heart from feeling anything. Mm. So now it was, is, you know, it sounds like it was certainly a, I guess I'll put it eventful childhood and it caused you to grow quick and uh, learn a lot of things. And I think one of the things you mentioned is you kind of going through, you know, father, you know, 
being Peter Pan, mother um, lo losing her at a uh, reasonably early age is that you kind of, through those experiences, decided you needed to earn a ton of money, be your own boss, and uh, or figure out how to be successful. Is that about right? Or kind of is, is or remind me how that went? No, you're absolutely correct. I think um, now, obviously, at the time of 17, I was not this wise as I am at 48 now, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and even in my 30s, when I had this discovery of like, oh, that's why I did this, right? At the time, I just thought, well, no, I was doing what was needed to do. But now looking back, um, I really, I remember like it was yesterday, walking into the memorial um, uh, you know, center and, and seeing my mom in that casket. And and I thought, if I start crying, I will wake up 50 years old, a drunk on a park bench. And because no one in my life was big enough in, you know, in a couple months to open the curtains and say, okay, time to get out of bed, time to keep living. Right. And so I just, I literally was like, I'm, I, I can't feel anything. I can't feel any of this. And, and I am just going to go into, you know, supersonic, um, ambition and drive and um and then you know just i'm just going to i'm going to make enough money that i don't need anyone um and then you know unconsciously on it but now it's very obvious um i started when i started making money i bought my friends right and i very consciously bought them so anyone who actually couldn't be bought i didn't you know, pursue or let into my inner circle because then I had control and I was insulated and my heart was protected. But at the end of the day, obviously, you know, you're extremely lonely. Um, and you're also extremely narcissistic and, um, and, you know, and have no mirror of anything, right? Because everyone's praising you because you're buying them everything from trips on yachts to, you know, to a great lifestyle and they're not going to, um, and, and then they're the people originally who could be bought. Right. And so mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, it's just, it's like this system no. that feeds itself. <laughs> yeah. And let me dive into that. Cause so you graduated and, you know, I, get that that's where he came in at and you're saying hey money can solve a lot of issues you know buy your friends they're gonna love it they get lots of nice stuff but it probably doesn't establish those deeper relationships you're looking for with that what were you doing at the time or what was this you know coming out of school what was the employment or job or what was the startup or the business that you got into right so um i was actually a biochem major um, I went to school on a full ride academic scholarship um, and I was going to be a poster child doctor. Um, and I was, you know, the school paid for a room, board, books, everything for me to be their poster child doctor. And then literally going, I, um, I went into the, the day of the MCAT. I did not go. Um, and um, in the middle of the MCAT, very intentionally, I went into the director of the department of the science department and came in he's like, oh my gosh, are you sick? You know, we'll reschedule. And, and I said, no. Oh, I said, um, I'm, I'm not going. And, um, and he's like, you have to go. And I was like, no, I had to keep a 3.98 GPA, which I did. Um, and I had to, you know, I had to be a student and, uh, but I, um, I'm not going to med school. And he said, why? And I said, cause I want to make money. And, um, and, and he said, um, well, you're going to be a doctor. And I said, no, after, after med school and all the loans and everything else, you know, I'm, and then, and I said, by the time I start making money after residency and everything else, I'm going to want to have babies. And then, um, and so I, I said, and the only real, real way to make money is to hire doctors. And so I said, I don't have to be a doctor to hire doctors. And, and, um, and that's what I ended up doing. So I ended up, um, 
walking out of college and um, getting a job with JD Edwards Software. They're an ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning, um, who got bought by Oracle uh, years later. But um, but they um, and I worked for them as a peon consultant. And I think it's really important that you know I um, and I went to work for them because my mother was a a senior um, account manager. Um, and, um, and so I knew some people there and, um, and I also, you know, thought I liked what she did. She solved problems and, and I thought I could do that. And so I could be a consultant and I actually was one of, um, they hired 10 college hires who went right into consulting for, for, so for years for the company, they had only hired people who had 10 plus years of business experience, right? So you had to be a plant manager for 10 years or a seat controller for 10 years. And then if you wanted to come work for the software and you knew the business already, then they taught you the software to be the consultant that helped other companies implement, right? Um, so they literally did this one hire of 10, 10, a round of 10 people. And they all came from Georgia Tech and MIT and then myself. <laughs> and, um, and so connections, networking really did work. And, um, and I got to, I got to be part of this 10 hire, but then I, you know, I held my own ground and I was a great consultant and got billable very fast and everything else. But mm. what happened was, is that when, you know, companies implementing software would spend tens of thousands of dollars on process reengineering, right? Best practices. And then similar tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on configuration. And then they would flip the switch after these people from the business who had been on the project team for 18 months and figure they would just go back and tell everyone on their company how to use the software. And yes, they did documentation and they did compliance and stuff like that, but no one, no one got passionately excited about the people, right? And about that transformation of what they currently knew. And now what's the gap and, so, and, and creating that. So now and how so did you, how did you, how does that take you to where, cause you mentioned that, you know, I think at age 33 or so you'd built a company, made an exit and, yep. and was, a, it was, a, yep. you know, had that as a, as a kind of a first entrance. Yeah. Help me fill in the gap. How did you get to there? Well, so I, um, I literally kept seeing this opportunity that no one, no one focused on the people after, and I knew the systems worked, right? Because I'm the peon consultant who put in a thousand purchase orders and then received a thousand purchase orders, right? And I did every variance and I knew they worked, but I, um, but I, I, I heard, and also, I mean, literally up to the point of litigation companies were suing JD Edwards because the software failed. Well, software didn't fail, right? What failed was no one trained them. And so I just, um, I decided to, I wanted to go independent and, um, well, first actually I went to the executives at JD Edwards and I said, I have this brilliant idea. We should do this for training and end user training. And, and they said, you know, our focus is on the software, right. Which is great as a business owner to know mm -hmm. what you're about. Right. And so don't fault them at all, et cetera. But then I went to the partners, IBM, Deloitte, et cetera, um, um, Arthur Anderson at the time now Accenture, right. I mean, I can date myself with that is, um, and I went to them and I said, you guys are doing training. This is how we do, should do it. And they patted me on the shoulder and said, oh, sweet, innocent little 26 year old, you know, you have no mm -hmm. idea that people don't pay for training and, um, you know, and we do the necessary evil and we do, you know, documentation, but that's what we do. And so, um, yeah, maybe just so we can or make sure we get the full journey, help us yeah. to jump or jump forward just a little bit to, to get to where, or where you made the exit, because we still got uh, quite a bit of journey we want to make sure we hit on.
Oh, so I, I, but with that, I went to them first. And I think that's important, but then I um, went independent and I just, um, so I went back to a couple of clients that I had worked on with their blessing. And, um, and then three weeks after I'd gone independent, I had six clients all who wanted me or who were wanting to sign contracts and everyone said, start a company. And I said, I was a biochem major. I don't know about starting a company. Um, and, um, but then I called a, a law firm and had them incorporate me and called an accountant and, you know, and then fast forward, that's the easy part. Um, seven years later, um, you know, we had, um, we were doing dozens of implementations, every, you know, fortune 50 company who's implementing, um, JD awards, we're doing three to $5 million training projects. And, um, you know, and I had, um, um, consultants around the world. And, and, and so I, um, I, I did, I sold that company, um, not, not looking for an exit, um, but um, a large company came in and who um, said, you know, we're, we don't want to grow training organically. And, and I said, I'm not for sale. And they said, everything's for sale for the right price. And I said that you're correct. And, um, and we did an acquisition and sold it. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was a huge success. Um, I was a multimillionaire at 33 and, um, and I, I thought that I had, I had done it all. And, um, yet, um, very quickly, you know, um, it didn't, it wasn't fulfilling. Like a lot of, I'm not the first one to tell that, right. Um, you were chasing after something, you finally get it. And, um, and I was just kind of, kind of lost. So, I, I stopped as you're saying, yes. And I, with some really good coaching, I stopped and I, and, and when I actually stopped and, um, I fell apart, I absolutely fell apart and I started crying really hard. And I realized that I really missed my mom and I really, for real had been abandoned by my dad. And I, and I, I just was exhausted. I had been running from, from mourning that from truly just mourning it. Right. Mm. Um, and, and it had made me very um, volatile a lot of times and, and um, because I couldn't feel anything. And that's the thing I didn't realize for a number of years is that if you can't feel sadness and mourning, you also can't feel real joy, right? Um, you don't have two different barometers of happiness and bad feelings, right? Or happy and bad, sad feelings. And so, um, so I finally, I finally did some healing and sat in it. And, um, and then I discovered, I was like, you know what? I'm kind of fun just as I am and not, um, not because I will pay for the dinner or because I have another brilliant idea, right? I'm just, um, I innately, we're all kind of really cool, really cool creations in of ourselves. Mm. So now as you, and I, I think it makes sense. So you finally go hard, you know, you, you build a business successfully you can make a good exit and then as you're taking that break it gives you time to reflect and probably all those things that you'd you know overridden or didn't have time to consider now you have time to consider and you're taking that break and saying okay you know what does success mean and how you know how did I get here and what do I want to do next and all those things and so it sounds like I think when we talked you went to Hawaii and took about an 18 month break or by the time you were done with it and then how did you decide kind of what you're going to do or how you're going to re-engage or where you went from there? Yeah, well, um, I got back. I mean, honestly, life kind of steers you. You know, it's really interesting because we can have best laid plans, but the stock market crashed and I was getting really nice dividend checks. And I mean, in all honesty, it was really one of those days I woke up and I was like, I need cash. 
because mm. I have a really nice lifestyle now and I need to work again. Right. And so I called a couple of companies, um, cause my, in my two year non-compete was up and I called a couple of companies and was just going to do some independent. Everyone's like, Oh my gosh, you're back and start another company. And now this, and we need this. And there was a, there was a bolt on software company that wanted, a. um, and more of an online training solution. So I did a contract with them to start that and that turned into another company. Um, but while I was doing that company, I also had a baby and, um, and became a mom. And then, um, and then while all that was going on as well, I, um, I, the second company was really a, a, definitely a means to an end means to a very just cash, right. Until the stock market recovered. And, mm. and so, um, and so I, um, it, it wasn't in my heart at all. Right. Um, and never knew that I was just, it was a job. Um, but then I walked into a line, which is now right behind me. Um, not this location though, but, um, I, there was an a line in Denver. Um, the original owners are brilliant, two wonderful fashionistas who wanted a fabulous hobby and, and were really good buyers. Um, but it was one of the few stores I shopped in in Denver and I went in to shop and, um, and I learned that they both moved overseas and the lease was up and they were going to close the store. And I thought, if I ever wanted to combine my business skills with my love of fashion, now is the time. And I also have been really, really disconnected in Denver. Um, being in such a in software, being so global, right? I traveled so much um, and I knew my neighbors, but I really didn't know a lot of people. And so I didn't want to just sit on a bunch of boards and stuff like that. I really, I wanted a very um, just kind of natural and organic way to get to know other women. And I thought, if I'm shopping here, there's probably other women like me who are shopping here. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, and so anyhow, so I decided to buy the store and I did. So it was an asset purchase and, um, easy, um, bought the store and, um, they were doing 300,000 in annual revenue. And the next year we did 700,000 and the next year we did 1.4. Um, and then we did 1.7 and this was in landmark. This isn't a strip mall and, you know, a, a, a lifestyle center. I, that's what they're called now. Right. Um, and so, um, but in, in a nice part of town, right. But it's still a strip mall. Um, and so, um, and I, I knew that, and it was very different what I, it wasn't most boutiques or the, the traditional sense of a boutique is, is that you have exclusivity, right. You, you get these great brands and you protect them fiercely. Mine wasn't about, I mean, yes, it was, that was kind of like the common denominator. It's like four seasons having good count sheets, right? You have to have that, right? It has to be clean. That's, but then why do you choose them over a St. Regis or over, you know, a montage or whatever? Well, is it the, you know, it's experience, it's the service, it's the connection. And so to me, that was what A-Line needed to be about um, because I hate shopping. So people mm. are always amazed when they learn that about me. They're like, wait, you own you know, 15,000 square feet, four stores about to open a fifth, you know, and you hate shopping. I'm like, yes, I love fashion. I love the end result. I love the power of fashion. I hate the work of shopping. Right. Um, and so, but I had gotten to the point financially and just in that I could hire a stylist. So I had a stylist who did the shopping for me. Right. Um, and, and so that, that model that I experienced over in Europe and those professional stylists who, um, who do the work for you um, and who know their inventory, right. Who know in this year, this size, and this year, this size. And I always say, it's kind of like a guy shopping for a suit. You guys walk in there, go, Oh, you're 44 long. And they pull the, right. The coats that will look good on you. And then they 
pin them and then you're out of there. And that's exactly what we were doing. I wanted to do for women, but not um, for every day for, I call it casual chic, right? How do you run around and how are you still put together and not in Lululemon, right? So, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, so then I bought it and we grew, like I said, um, but then I, um, I really had a, a pause because um, financially I was making more money in the return stock market than I was in the investment that I had done in Aland, right? Because it wasn't, um, it wasn't profitable. And so I, I knew I had to, I had a crossroads, you know what I mean? I had a fork and I needed to either just sell the business after a couple of years in and said, that was fun. I didn't lose any money. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or I need to scale it if I wanted to make money. And so I've scaled it. And so now we have four locations here in Denver and you know, a dozen um, stylists who are all on salary with medical benefits, true professionals. We don't have any store managers and no one can, often they're like, oh, well, you're a store manager. I was like, I don't have store managers. And they're like, how do you have four, you know, beautiful 4,100, 4,000 square foot stores, you know, um, without store managers? And I was like, I don't hire people who have to be managed. I mm-hmm. hire professionals, right, who are driven, who are, um, who, who are entrepreneurs themselves. Right. And, um, and then we give them the framework and the support and the training and everything else, but I don't hire people who have to be managed. So. No. And I think that's probably a great, uh, great uh, transition to the two questions I always ask at the end of each episode, just because we're now the present of where kind of the, the journey has brought you to today. And it's always a great time because I love to ask two questions as we get to the present day of the journey. So I'm going to jump to those right now. Love it. First question I always ask is, so along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? And what'd you learn from it? Um, I made many, 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 many. Um, and I think, um, um, but one of the ones that just really sticks out is I had the brilliant idea of putting one style on the floor. So usually, you know, you, when you walk into a store, right, you, this blouse, you, if you have a full size run, you have the extra small, small, medium, large. Um, but I decided just like Europe does um, that we would put one on the floor and then we'd go to the back stock, right? Because the reality is, is in one blouse, I might be an extra small and another blouse, I might be a medium just because that's how it's running and this. And, and, um, and I thought, well, that's what the stylists do. And then they'll grab the right thing. It backfired so badly, so badly because, Mm um, oh my gosh, because also, um, um, you know, when someone who's a medium comes in and all that's on the floor is extra smalls, or that's what they see first. Cause that was the first small, we put the smallest size on the floor, right? It completely is the antithesis of what I wanted to do of women's empowering. Cause we really do. We stock sizes zero through size 12, jean 24 through 32. Cause it's really important to me that you can be a size eight, you can be a size 10, you can be a size 12 and be beautiful and feel seen and relevant and confident. And, you know, and so it was the antithesis. And then, um, a lot of, um, Oh my gosh. It, it was, it was a horrible, it was one of the worst decisions it and how I knew it was bad decision was because within a couple of weeks, sales started to dip, but I thought, you know, there's a lot of factors. And after two months, it was the worst two months of sales history, um, in our existence from a percentage, right. As we were growing. Um, and it was, but what was wonderful about it was, um, one of the, the, the team was the one who was like, Carmen, we can't do this. And this is why. Mm. Um, so it proved that um, rumbling from Brene Tur- Brown's term is really good um, and having a team that trusts you. Um, but I will have to say about failures, one thing I'd love to share is just that someone early on told me you are going to have big failures. 
And I thought, oh, that's so awful to hear. But <laughs> they said, when you swing, Carmen, you swing for the home run. And that's why you get home runs. Yeah, but no, and I, and I think that's a great uh, takeaway. So I think that too often people are worried about the failures. And I think everybody hits those and whether or not it's a drastic failure and the business goes under, yeah. whether or not it's a mistake that you're able to recover from, or whether or not it's just something that you wish you'd done before, you're yeah. always going to look and say there are different things that had I known I would have done differently. And you can look back and say those are mistakes or those are failures. But I think that it also is if you never if you never make those failures, if you don't ever put yourself in a situation where you can make those failures, you're definitely not going to be able to have those successes. So I think that's definitely a great, uh, great uh, mistake to learn from and a great takeaway. Second question I always ask is now, if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Know yourself. Absolutely know yourself. It's so funny because you're so focused on everyone who's starting a business is at, it's, it's natural to be, you know, focus on everything from the customers, the product, the this, the ops, et cetera. But take a second and do you know yourself? Because as a, you are the leader at the end of the day, right? You, you are launching something. And if you don't know very innately your strengths and your weaknesses and who you are and what makes you tick and what you need, right? Mm -hmm. Because you are like, it's like, you're the generator, you're the sole inspiration, you are it. And, and um, uh, my favorite publication of all publications is Harvard Business Review, right? I read it every, every couple of months when it gets to my mailbox, I get so excited. And I sit there and I read it. And, and I love it because it's data driven. And years ago, they did a great article um, where they surveyed, surveyed, um, and, and researched thousands of leaders, right? From C-level executives to entrepreneurs. And they took the most successful people in the world and they literally tried to look for a pattern of what made them successful. Everything from upbringing to, you know, being a, a sibling order to demographics, to economics, to um, no college degree, to, you know, dropping out of right college, to going to Harvard. And nothing was similar. There was no common denominator. Obviously there's pods and there's pools of things, but there's nothing except for when they got to the point of self-awareness, mm -hmm. all of them, all of them were extremely self-aware, right? They had done work on themselves and they were extremely self-aware leaders. And I, I just, I think it's something that people don't think about when they're starting a business, but I would say, you know, do you know yourself and how well do you know yourself? And, and if you have to, you know, take care of you and um, to be the sole energy and the solar system <laughs> of this, you know, venture you're about to embark on. Awesome. No, I think that's definitely a great piece of advice and a, a great takeaway. So, well, now as we uh, uh, wrap up the, the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Um, every every social media platform from LinkedIn to Facebook to Instagram um, to is just my name, Carmen Berenson with a K, K-A-R-M-E-N, Berenson, B-E-R-E-N-T-S-E-N. Um, very easy to find me. And then um, A-Line is just literally three words, A-Line Boutique. Um, and so we can, you can find all of that on any platform, all of the above. And, um, and I'd love to, I'd love to, um, Yes. Style women who want to feel seen, relevant, confident, beautiful. Um, sorry, 
Devin, we can't sell you. We don't do men's. Um, you but, can sell my wife. So maybe someday there'll, there'll oh, be an opportunity there. Uh, or exactly. my three daughters. I, so either all, all, plenty of opportunity. There you go. There you go. We, we get a lot of guys out of dog houses. Um, I always say, you know, you can send a flowers, but if you send her an outfit that she, rock, she rocks and we nail it, you are totally out of that dog house. Right. And then if you really need to get out big time, we, you have us pack a suitcase that literally everything fits in there for her and you whisk her off somewhere. And, um, and, and we do that well. So <laughs> Awesome. Well, I definitely uh, encourage everybody to reach out, use a, use some, uh, a great resource and uh, definitely is a, a fun, uh, a, a great uh, person to connect up with and nothing else, make a new best friend. So well, with that, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure. Now for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So let's go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A um, couple more things as listeners. One, make sure to click uh, share, review, and uh, leave us some, any feedback because we always want to make sure that everyone finds out about all these awesome episodes. And last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, your trademarks, or anything else with your startup or your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Thank you again, Carmen, and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks, Evan. You too.